It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal in the KD Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show on any podcast app that you prefer, be it Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, what have you. And if you don't like podcast apps or if you listen in your car and you can't be scrolling through your phone, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings every morning. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today I want to kind of add context and address something that I have talked about a lot over the course of my entire time with this podcast since last December, especially as we've been talking about player acquisition stuff and talking about, you know, does this player fit fit the, the Vikings in the draft or should we get this free agent or whatever? I want to talk about Mike Zimmer's scheme and I want to do a whole episode just explaining what it is because I feel like there's a lot of like, there's like a nebulous idea of, you know, does he or doesn't he fit Mike Zimmer's scheme and we kind of know that that the Vikings tend to go after like this kind of defender or that kind of defender. You know, they like press man corners and they like smaller defensive tackles. And and what's the deal with all that? Why do you like all of that stuff? What is Mike Zimmer's scheme? What does it mean? And why is it so special? You know, the, the Vikings defense has been good pretty much since Mike Zimmer got here after, you know, you gave him a minute to fix the disaster that was the Allen Williams experience. He's been able to build a consistently good defense to the point where the Vikings are extremely interested in keeping all of those players and drafting well and acquiring good players is part of it, but scheme is part of it as well. And so I just wanted to talk about what you can look for when you watch Mike Zimmer's teams play defense. And even outside of Mike Zimmer, you can see this all over the league nowadays. You can see the Eagles doing this. You can see the Patriots doing this. You can see, uh, you go, you could go all the way back to the early 90s Browns where this was invented when it was Bill Belichick and Nick Saban uh, on the same coaching staff. And they had a problem. They couldn't beat the Steelers. This whole defense, you can thank the fact the Browns could not be the Ste- beat the Steelers as the impetus for what has made Mike Zimmer's defense so good today. It's a concept called pattern matching, and I've alluded to it a little bit on this show before, but again, I haven't gone really into the depth that it deserves, and now in the throes of July, seems like as good a time as any to lay down that foundation. So let's talk about it. So in the early 90s, when Bill Belichick was the head coach of the Browns and Nick Saban was the defensive coordinator, they had had an issue. They ran a lot of cover three. And what you teach players when you're teaching them how to run a cover three or any zone defense really is to go get to a spot. You are going to basically get off of the snap and you're immediately going to go to where you're supposed to be in that coverage. Maybe you'll jam somebody at the line of scrimmage, but the idea is that you're responsible for getting to the place on the field that you're supposed to get and then kind of cover everything around you. So the issue with, with that is that there are exploits. There then become spaces on the field that are less well defended than others. Typically in a cover three, and the problem that Nick Saban and Bill Belichick were having was that they only had three guys deep in a cover three, and the Steelers would just send four guys deep and beat them. Pretty straightforward stuff, and they couldn't really figure it out. They could send a fourth guy deep, but then everything would be way further open underneath, and they just didn't quite have enough people to do everything that they wanted to do. So they needed to kind of come up with a way to get ahead of the Steelers. Because at the crux of this advantage is that the Steelers knew what the offensive play call was going to be before the defense did. So the Steelers could come out and see, all right, you're in cover three, and now I can just call four verticals and win. And if you're not in cover three, well, then I'll call whatever beats your coverage. And the defense had to have their 
play call locked in. So you had, would have your players willfully executing something that's the wrong call, and you didn't really get a chance to change it. So they needed to find a way to get a chance to change it, almost like mid-play. And so they invented the concept of pattern matching. So if you ever hear somebody talk about like what Zimmer does or what Belichick does as something like new or novel, know that it is as old as I am. So here's their solution to the problem in a nutshell. There's a lot more going on to this, and I'm going to link more resources in the show notes that you definitely should watch because it's really cool and fascinating, especially if you're into scheme stuff. But the general idea is that if you are a cornerback or even a linebacker or a safety or whatever, and you are responsible for reading the wide receiver's route combinations. And basically, you can tell pretty much right off the bat, after the first couple of steps, if a receiver is stemming shallow or stemming deep. Now, what does that mean? The stem of a route is kind of the first uh, like burst of running that you, you have. And on a, like a deep post or a deep corner or you know a go route, a just run straight forward route, the wide receiver will pretty much just start sprinting right away because they have to eat up a lot of space before they get to their break. If it is a stick route or a little curl or something else uh, that is maybe a shallower route, like a crosser or a slant, they'll kind of give that away pretty much right away. In the first two steps, you kind of know if they're trying to go with a deeper route or with a more shallow route. And so the defensive players are asked to read that and determine, all right, if it's a deep route, I do that. If it's a shallow route, I do that. And so introducing the idea of like a post-snap read for every defender in pattern matching is kind of novel in the 90s. It was like a totally new thing and it really, really revolutionized stuff and it's what kind of gave Nick Saban and Bill Belichick their legendary reputations. Or at least part of it, you know, obviously those two have quite a bit going on as the dominant coaches in college and the NFL respectively. So you can kind of get the, the legendary amount of brain power that, were, that was in the room when this was invented. So there's a lot that goes into this, but remember that four verticals problem that if you, you know, if you say you were in cover three, but you're running this pattern match concept, well now say all four receivers, you know, just go straight down the field on a, on a vertical route, you can read that, right? And you can say, okay, oh God, they're all going deep. Uh, the slot corner usually and the two other corners and one of the safeties will all read that and will all go deep. Now you have four defenders back there for the four receivers and you can beat four verticals that way. And you could have always just done that. You could have just switched to cover four and now you beat four verticals, but then you only have three underneath pass defenders and it's really easy to beat that with like one crossing route. So to guard against this, say somebody runs a crosser instead of a vertical route and you only have three vertical routes and one crossing route, well now that that guy, often the slot corner, and this is why it's so hard for slot corners to come along in Mike Zimmer's defense. This is what uh, something that Mackenzie Alexander struggled mightily with in the first couple of years. He has to read that and then call under. And if you call under, that means that he is going to go play like a, a, a hook zone, which is a, a typical part of a cover three zone. And now the linebackers know that that one linebacker is supposed to jump that crossing route, and whichever linebacker is left over, this is Barr and Kendricks, uh, whichever linebacker is left over, assuming that they're not blitzing or whatever, is going to back up and try to quote-unquote rob the middle of the field. Now, what a robber is, real quick, is somebody that kind of goes into the deep middle of the field, kind of like that old Tampa 2 linebacker thing, and if there's a post or a deep crosser or a dig or something, they're basically lurking back there trying to intercept it. So now you've set yourself up for a linebacker to intercept both that crossing route and any weird shenanigans on a post or whatever downfield. You have man-to-man -man on the outside, and you've pretty much beaten a lot of the classic cover three beaters. This is an idea that was invented in like 91 or 92, I'm not actually specifically sure. 
uh, and it is something that has prevailed for the last 30 years. Another way to kind of explain pattern matching is that it combines a, a zone read, basically as a zone kind of mental aspect with man-to-man -man technique. You essentially, your, your uh, defense is in a zone coverage scheme until they figure out what the receiver is doing and then they switch to man. And that's kind of a, a very crude, oversimplified way of putting what pattern match matching is. This is what Mike Zimmer does. And uh, we're going to get way more into this in a little bit. I do have to step away for a quick ad break, but, but understanding pattern matching is at the crux of understanding what Mike Zimmer's scheme is. Now, we'll get to the double A gap and all the other stuff that you get talked about uh, in just a second, but I do have to step away, so I will be right back. See you in a second. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, welcome back. So there's a lot more to Mike Zimmer's defense than just pattern matching. Pattern match matching is not something that is unique to Mike Zimmer. A lot of teams in the league do it. A lot of very good teams in the league do it. And Mike Zimmer having a good defense for like five years and using pattern matching is not a coincidence. It's a good scheme. But one thing that Mike, now Mike Zimmer has been running this for forever, right? He's been a defensive coordinator forever. He was a defensive backs coach before that under like Bill Parcells, who, you know, was the mentor of Bill Belichick. So they're on, kind of in the same coaching tree. And you can kind of imagine how he picked up this particular strategy, not to mention it's just a copycat league. So you watch a little bit of Browns tape from the early 90s when you're game planning against them and suddenly you go, oh, wow, that's really smart. So some things that I feel like are a little bit more unique uh, to Zimmer, for one, is the use of a lot more press man. Uh, and I think that that Zimmer uses press man more often and values press man more, and you can really see it in in his draft decisions. Now he didn't draft Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes was on the team before he got here, but he really mentored Xavier Rhodes, and I would really credit. Uh, Mike Zimmer with the development of Xavier Rhodes because of, and, and yeah, I mean, go back and listen to the 90-man series on Xavier Rhodes. Their relationship has been so important, and he's been really a mentor to him, and Xavier Rhodes is like a big physical corner, and using a big physical corner to, you know, bump somebody like Julio Jones off the ball is really, really important. I've kind of explained that too when I talked about Mackenzie Alexander. You're supposed to disrupt the timing of their routes, and that really, really helps, especially when you're trying to read it and one of the kind of downsides of pattern matching is that everybody has to think really hard and that can lead to mistakes. And you probably know this, uh, you could probably see this in your line of work or your job or, or your school or whatever. The harder you have to think and, and the more you have to think about, the greater the likelihood that you're going to make a mistake. And so this kind of lends itself to, to why there's this like stereotype of corners kind of coming along slowly in Mike Zimmer's system. And by the way, why Mike Hughes' development was so exciting back in that, that time when everybody was like, oh, wow, he like picked this up immediately mentally and that was insane. 
hope he gets healthy. Now, this was also part of why Trey Waynes uh, struggled to kind of get going, because he struggled with those. I mean, they didn't ask him to do that at Michigan State. They actually do similar stuff at Michigan State nowadays, but at the time, he didn't have a lot of experience, like, reading route stems and trying to make decisions in real time in, you know, a split second. So he really had to get used to that, and what would happen is he would play off coverage way too often. And he would, he would essentially read every route as a deep stem, even when it was like a seven-yard curl. So he would like back up and backpedal and backpedal, and they'd catch a seven-yard curl, eight-yard curl in front of him, and teams would like dink and dunk their way all the way down the field doing that. And that was part of Trey Waynes' struggles in his first and second year. Not to mention a little bit of college handsiness and some burn stuff and, you know, classic rookie cornerback stuff, but a lot of it was like that specific issue. And now Trey Waynes has become a better cornerback because he's learned how to read that route stem and he makes the wrong decision far less often. So in this read, and I kind of want to talk about this read for the defense because this is a real like linchpin moment for every defensive play, and a lot of it comes to reading the route combination, not necessarily just the routes themselves. It's not, you know, I'm Mackenzie Alexander and, and uh, Nelson Aguilar is in front of me, and I am going to read his route, and and, and that's kind of that. And I'm going to tunnel vision on a Nelson Aguilar, and I'm going to make my whole decision based on what he does. Because there's a receiver next to Nelson Aguilar, too. Let's say it's Alshon Jeffrey. So if you're reading Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey, sorry, I was watching the Eagles game today, so that's like the people that are in my mind. Um, but, you know, whatever, slot corner... At, slot receiver and outside receiver, you're watching both of them, and those two players are probably going to run a combination of routes. Now, there's only really so many popular route combinations in the NFL, enough where you can kind of get your cornerbacks to be familiar with all of them and know exactly what you're supposed to do to counter all of them. So you have kind of a set of like rules and almost like a flowchart type thing, like thought process for them to go through, and if they go through the same flowchart type process, you're basically going to be able to shut down every route combination, so long as it's one that you saw and film and you know to prepare for and the, and a lot of their preparation throughout the week the things that they're going to practice have to do with this they're going to watch film on the team that they're about to play and they're going to say okay they like to use these route combinations from this formation and this is their patterns and this is their tendencies and you kind of identify some of the things that you expect to commonly see and then identify how you're going to determine that the team is doing that based on you know how the wide receivers release and how they line up and etc and if they do those things and you you pick up on those tells you tell them okay now you cover it this way and that can be any number of things it can be all right if they're going to run this you know man coverage beats this route combination so just do man if you see this route combination zone coverage beats that one so do zone if you see it and you know so on and so forth it can get a lot more complex than that i don't want to go too far into the weeds though but essentially what you end up getting all a lot of the time is you know one route combination on one side of the field another route combination on another side of the field so you'll get these this very confusing tape and you, i i see broadcasters struggle with this all the time where they they will like struggle to identify if it's man or zone because you're playing man to man on one side of the field and you're playing you know a cover three zone on the other side of the field and and the linebackers are like doing something completely different and jumping routes like it's zone and and it's it's can be very confusing to somebody trying to explain it to a national audience like a broadcaster. And it's not only confusing to them, but it's confusing to the offensive coordinator who has to pull up that tape the next week and go, now what on earth were they playing here? What is this scheme? What's going on? And a lot of offensive coordinators have struggled to crack Mike Zimmer's scheme because of it but not everybody. And I do want to go into this uh, right now before I move on to the blitzing stuff. Uh, I, I do want to go into kind of what happened to Mike Zimmer's scheme because in the last couple of years, there have been a couple of teams that torched him. 
the Eagles in the NFC Championship game, and in that Thursday night shootout, Sean McVay got him with the Rams. Now, Doug Peterson and Sean McVay are both seen as uh, pretty hefty offensive minds, so the fact that they cracked Mike Zimmer's code shouldn't come as too much of a surprise to you. They're very smart, and they earned it. But how they did it, I find really interesting and, and fun to look into. So let's start with Sean McVay, because he did it in a much more straightforward way. Essentially, here's the weakness of pattern matching, is you kind of let the offense dictate the matchup. So it's actually time for another ad break. So I'm going to do that quick. And then when I come back, I'll explain what I mean. I'll see you all in a second. Okay, welcome back. So uh, dictate the matchup. So the Vikings actually even take it a step further. They pretty much telegraph what they're going to do to the offense. The offense can pretty much read the Vikings defense and know exactly where everybody's going to be. But the thing is, it doesn't really matter because the defense is reading the offense right back. And as long as the defense can figure out what the offense is doing, it doesn't matter that they predicted what you were doing. They're going to be in the right place. You can't really run a trick like that. They even go so far far as to play sides with Trey Waynes will like always be on the left. So if you want to put your best receiver on Trey Waynes, you are more than free to do so. Mike Zimmer says, yeah, go for it. It's not going to matter. Now with certain superstars, he won't do this, right? He'll have Xavier Rhodes shadow sometimes depending. And it's actually an interesting decision to track week by week. But for example, in that Rams game against Sean McVay, they played sides, I believe. And you remember what happened. Uh, Cooper Cup went off, you know, uh, Anthony Barr gave up three touchdowns. And it's because they actually picked on Anthony Barr, who was in a linebacker, but typically in man-to-man situations. So one of the the situations that you can get in with a pattern match zone is that if somebody runs a crossing route, like I explained, uh, and, and, you know, the undercall happens and everybody does it properly, you will end up with a linebacker trying to jump that crossing route. But if that crossing route then turns upfield and becomes a vertical, then you have a linebacker man-to-man against a slot receiver that he'll never be able to keep up with. This is what Cooper Cup did. It turned into a 70-yard touchdown, and it's not the only time that they pulled tricks like that to get Anthony Barr weirdly in man coverage against people he should not have been in man coverage against. The Vikings have a set of rules, and Sean McVay could figure out enough about those rules where he could basically trick the Vikings into doing the wrong thing, even though the Vikings were doing exactly what they were coached to do. And often that person was Anthony Barr. This has been covered in a lot of detail, and it's why I don't really blame him for what happened in that Rams game. And I think a lot of the people that didn't want to sign Barr in free agency and stuff were really, really focused on that one. And when you say, well, actually, it's not his fault, their whole argument kind of falls apart. So the other really big, like, Mike Zimmer messed up kind of, like, blunderous moment was the NFC Championship against the Eagles a couple years ago. Uh, So what Doug Peterson did there was a a little bit more uh, tricksy than what Sean McVay did. Sean McVay said, I'm going to take your rules and I'm going to take advantage of them. What Doug Peterson did is he kind of said, I am going to take your rules and, and use the same logic against you. The reason that pattern matching works is that it reads the play post-snap. You know, if you're a defender and you're looking at at a lined-up offense before the snap, you kind of have to, to some degree, guess what they're going to do. This is a whole, you know, chess match back and forth. Are they going to run? Are they going to pass? What kind of pass play are they going to call? What's the guy in front of me going to do? Is he going to go deep? Is he going to go shallow? Is he going to break left? Is he going to break right? There's a lot of that kind of gamesmanship going on. And so the beauty of pattern matching is that you could kind of back up, watch and see what they were going to do and then react to that instead of trying to, you know, guess. And if you guess wrong, you get got. So in every play on offense, at some point, the offense has to reveal what it is doing. You know, if if it's going to run the ball, eventually you have handed the ball to the running back and it is now revealed that this is a run play, right? Eventually to run the play, it at some point has to become obvious what play you are running. But if you say split your offense in half and have one half run a a run style play with run blocking and have one half 
run a pass style play with pass blocking and then pass patterns and the regular pass stuff, and you have the quarterback basically look at what the defense does and decide after the snap, that kind of throws pattern matching into a whole heap. And by the way, this is not a new, like, counter. This is not a new idea that Doug Peterson just came up with. RPOs have been around for as long as pattern matching has, and they've always been a reasonable counter to it. So you essentially have this game of chicken, and it's why I'm actually really excited for the Eagles game this year again. I think you're going to see that same game of chicken, where both sides are kind of waiting to declare what they're going to do, and once they've declared what they're going to do, then the other team kind of gets the advantage because whoever, it's like whoever gets to react last wins. And it's super, super fun to watch them kind of dart around pre-snap and figure stuff out like that. Against a more vanilla offense or maybe a, a younger quarterback who can't read this very well, you'll often see pattern matching look like zone and then turn into man concepts mid-play and a young quarterback will read oh good they're doing a zone let me you know throw the zone throw and then it turns into man mid-play and they throw interceptions this happened to Josh Rosen this year this happened uh, I believe Mitch Trubisky threw a couple that way this year and so that logic of just kind of putting off the moment where it's obvious what you're running as far as you possibly can is kind of becoming the wave of the NFL as both RPOs and pattern matching become more more and more popular concepts because the teams that go to the Super Bowl keep using them so that's a couple of counterexamples of ways that really, really smart coaches have beaten Mike Zimmer's scheme. And I remember there was a lot of panic after that Rams game of like, oh no, now Mike Zimmer's been exposed. Now it's two coaches who have figured him out and everybody else is just going to be able to watch what the Eagles and Rams did and replicate it. But it turned out to not really be that easy. Uh, you know, the, the defense really, they corrected a couple issues and they fixed some other stuff in their communication that was really struggling. And, uh, you know, other offensive coordinators had a really difficult time, like, replicating what Sean McVay did. And it's because Sean McVay is a genius. He was able to figure out how to get a wide receiver against Anthony Barr. Nobody else could really do that. And also, once they were aware of the problem, they made it harder to do that. But essentially, like, I can kind of look and say, oh, they got you know, Cooper Cup on Anthony Barr. That was excellent and very smart of them. Good job. But if I were tasked with sitting down to do this, I would be completely lost in the mud. And I think that other offensive coordinators who are not of Sean McVay's caliber had the same problem. When tasked to do it themselves, they failed to do so. So the other wrinkle in all of this is pressure because, you know, any quarterback can sit back and, and realize, oh, now it's man. Okay, what's the man? Now I, now I figure out the, the man read is okay. It's open like I thought it would be. And now I'll throw to that. But that's a lot of thoughts to go through, and it takes time. And when you make it so that the quarterback has to think that much more, make them make some time, you can get a lot of pressure. And boy, the Vikings are real good at that. So not only do they have a lot of really talented defensive linemen pretty much all the time. I mean, Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter and Linval Joseph, and then they had like Sheldon Richardson and even Tom Johnson was playing well in 2017, and Anthony Barr blitzing and Smith blitzing and all that other stuff. But let's talk a little bit about those blitzes because they are often really exotic. So usually the idea of a blitz, as we are familiar with it from, you know, if you are like a high school coach drawing up plays or or if you just are somebody that plays a bunch of Madden and that's kind of the most intimate, you know, familiarity you have with a playbook, that's certainly where I am. You understand a blitz as just you sent an extra person and now they have to protect against an extra person. You know, say you have the four classic defensive lineman and Anthony Barr goes. Now now you have five people rushing against five offensive linemen. Everybody's one-on-one. -on -one. You only need one of those guys to win. And I like your chances, right? But Mike Zimmer takes things to a more exotic level. And there are always new wrinkles being added into this. So this podcast is going to become outdated pretty much the second camp starts but it comes from a very intimate understanding of how offensive lines call protections. So the way that it typically works when you're pass blocking 
is that you will identify who the mic linebacker is or the middle linebacker. And you actually will, you can hear if it's, uh, you know, the, the home team is on offense and it's quiet. You can hear the quarterback yell out, you know, 54 is the mic. Or maybe the center is yelling out, 54 is the mic. You can always see the center pointing out and pointing around. This is what Garrett Bradbury will do for the Vikings. This is what Pat Elfline struggled so much with with the Vikings, was identifying that and then once the mic has been identified, all the other linemen know to kind of count out from there. You know, I have the guy, you know, three guys outside of the mic. That's roughly how protections work. Now, if, say, you overload one side, what if you are pass rushing and you decide, I'm just going to let the right tackle and the right guard do nothing, and I'm going to send all four of my pass rushers at the center, the left guard, and the left tackle? Well, the offensive line has to respond to that because teams actually will do that and beat you, so they'll just slide it over. So the left tackle will just go get the leftmost guy, and the uh, left guard will go get the second leftmost guy, the center will get the third leftmost guy, and now the right guard and maybe the right tackle will go get whoever is left over, and they will kind of slide everything to one side to like compensate. So the way that Mike Zimmer's blitzes have often worked is that they will do that kind of thing and they'll overload. And this is why you would see things that are weird. Like uh, there was a, a picture from minicamp of Steven Weatherly standing up and, and rushing, pass rushing from a three-point stance from the interior. That is a new thing for him. And it is something that they have defensive ends do all the time. They had Robeson do it. They've had, I believe Griffin's done it. And you entice that, that slide of protection. This is why Anthony Barr is also really valuable to them because Anthony Barr's presence alone will cause them to slide that protection because because they know from watching tape that they can't just put a tight end or a, or a running back on Anthony Barr to like pick up the blitzer and have that solve the problem. He'll just beat that guy and get the sack anyway. So they have to slide the protection to make sure that they can get an offensive lineman on Anthony Barr. And that fulfills the same purpose. The point is what they want to do is get the offensive line to make that shift and then blitz from the side that they just uh, shifted away from until they, you know, catch on. And then they say, okay, we're not going to fall for it this time. We're not going to slide the protection. And then you've overloaded one side and you've beaten them that way. And so you kind of create this, this Sophie's choice for the center and for the offensive line that gets a lot of free sacks. You know, Mackenzie Alexander gets sacks this way. Harrison Smith gets a ton of sacks this way and pressures and what have you. So the last thing I want to talk about, and I'm running out of time, so I have to go fast. Uh, sorry, I kind of got rambly on this one because this kind of stuff excites me and I just talk. But the last thing I want to talk about is the Rip and Liz part of pattern matching. It is a... a a key part of what Nick Saban and Bill Belichick invented and what Mike Zimmer has now adopted. And all Rip and Liz mean is right and left. They're just code words for right and left. And somebody who is reading the way that the team aligns will call out right or left, depending on where the offensive alignment is strongest. Now you may have heard of like strong side and weak side. And basically what that means is which side is the tight end on or which side are there like more skill players on. And this is typically a run game thing because Mike Zimmer's defense really cares about stopping the run. And they essentially have a bunch of alignment rules that are designed to put you in really good position to stop the run. And then if it's a pass, you can still go get to your zone spot like you usually would. It doesn't really matter if you lined up here or there, you can usually get to the same spot all the same same and then do your pattern match concepts and it's all kind of there. So you can kind of get like free extra run defense help without sacrificing pass defense help by using this Rip Liz thing. So you might have seen uh, uh, safeties like crash down right before the the snap goes off. Or if you haven't, pay attention to it. Next time you watch the Vikings play, or if you ever go back and watch an old game of Mike Zimmer's, you, you will watch like Sendejo or Anthony Harris or Harrison Smith like sprint down to the line of scrimmage right before the snap. 
Now you might you might not have heard, but there was like a rip or Liz call there. Essentially saying, you know, if they say Liz, that means, all right, left side of the formation is the strong side of the formation, which means left side safety, go attack it so that the numbers work out and are right. And that way, if they do decide to run to the strong side of the formation, and by the way, you're having them run right before the snap. So if you kind of catch them off guard on this, they either have to back up and, and change the play, and then you've caused them to audible out of their original call, which is can throw them off their rhythm, or you cause them to take a timeout, or they just run into it, and now you've created a numbers advantage that they didn't have time to respond to. This, again, works out really, really well against young quarterbacks like Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, but essentially you just change all of the blocking math right before the snap happens. So you just like required the tight end and the fullback and all the offensive linemen all to change their blocking math and who's the mic now and and all of that alignment and run fit stuff just changed in a split second. Everybody has to process it immediately. And if they don't, they mess up and you break the play. And and that is what like that that extra like disguise is a principle that Mike Zimmer's defensive scheme uses all the time to confuse the crap out of players. Everybody has to have the same thought at the exact same time. That's really hard to do, and it's also kind of a requirement for the defense to do that kind of thing too when they're pattern matching, and that's why the fact that everybody's played together for so long is such a huge boon and why they're paying so much money to keep everybody together. But that kind of thing is part of why these defenses have been so successful over the last years. And I honestly think it's why we don't really have to worry too much about the classic defensive regression that you see in other franchises. And statistically, there's a whole case to be made that like all defenses regress and all that, and maybe that's a topic for another day, but I'm pretty sure I am like way over time or at least close to it. So I do have to shut down the podcast for today. I will be back tomorrow if you are more interested in this kind of stuff because I, I oversimplified a lot of stuff and there's other stuff I wanted to talk about but ran out of time and couldn't get to. So do go check out the materials down below. A lot of this information I got from Ted Wynn, who is an expert film uh, analysis. I think he's at FB Film Analysis on Twitter. Uh, thank you to Arif Hassan, who hooked me up with an old uh, archived article from a defunct website that uh, he, he wrote back in the day, and uh, a YouTube video that was also really helpful to my understanding of it that I'm going to link in the show notes, and you should subscribe to that YouTuber as well, because that is some really cool content. Uh, do go check all that st stuff out if you want to know more about how Mike Zimmer's defense works. Uh, the, the whole point of me doing this show is that this does not have to be enshrouded in mystery. What Mike Zimmer does is really cool and fun to know about and will enhance your experience watching him play and make his defense way more interesting to watch for you. So I hope that this was fun to listen to. Uh, I have been your host, Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. The show is on any podcast app you like. And if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.